What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on the Smart Moment channel, where we travel back in time to the year 2003, check out every single episode of Smackdown under Paul Heyman's stewardship, which are getting shorter and shorter by the by the, the episode, really, because we are very, very close to the end. We are now into February, the final month of our journey in terms of our actual just standard shows. Obviously, we'll do a little bit past that when we get into the WrestleMania stuff, but we'll talk about that closer to the time but for now joining me callum wiggins as per usual on this journey back in time robert DeFelice. what's in the box callum um i assume it's not the undertaker's wife's severed head it's it's definitely not no ex-wife we should say <laughs> not because she's got a severed head or anything <laughs> no, <that's>... no. <laughs> other reasons for that but uh yep a big box is plays a big role in this uh, edition of smackdown which we will be reviewing but before we get into all the details, we would encourage you, of course, to, if you're watching us on YouTube, leave a like, drop a comment below, let us know what you're thinking about this episode or the series in general. And yeah, if you want to do any other stuff, like become a member of the channel or hit the applause button and throw a few bucks our way, that is very much appreciated as well. If you're listening through one of the podcast feeds like Stitcher or iTunes or something along those lines, then drop us a rating or a review or whatever that's particular podcast feed allows you to do to support us over on the youtube side again there's a playlist for every single episode of the paul Heyman's back down podcast you can go all the way back to episode zero all the way through to episode 33 watch them all in continuity oh, pe- oh actually really perpetuity just watch them constantly just have it always on in one browser and just play all the way through yeah i think we deserve those watch hours exactly and there is a link in the description to this edition of the in the wwe network which I guess you'll be able to use up until the point the WWE Network ceases to be in North America. But uh, oh. that's... I, I imagine, well, I hope it's still as easy to navigate as the WWE Network is today. Yeah. Just in case anyone's uh, thinking, no, we're, I'm not going back through every single description and updating them to the Peacock link. So no, once it's done, it's done. Yeah, so get it in there while you still can. But uh, unless you're listening to this in like three months' time, in which case, uh, tough luck. So, but here we are, episode 33. And as per usual, let's start off with a little bit of like major news around the time, starting with Steve Austin's tell all interview in Raw magazine, talking about his departure in 2002 and the reasons behind that and his frustrations with WWE at this point in time. Um, According to people that obviously I was reading through the Observer's review of it. And his perception of it was it was a mixture of genuine frustrations and like the actual realities of the situation combined with a lot of storyline build, which I guess you'd expect from a, like, an actual WWE branded magazine. Yeah, um, this was an interesting walkout. Like they marketed the hell out of this walkout. They did confidential specials, magazine interviews. And in the time since, Steve Austin's been a man about it and just sort of been like, yeah, I regret that one. That one, uh, he does say he wishes he didn't do it, you know? he. I think he's even gone so far as to say like he feels like he wasted some of his last few good months. And obviously, he's going to do two more things this year. But I always feel like, in my mind, Steve Austin's career ends at WrestleMania 17, and that's pretty sad. 
I always feel like when he says that it was a mistake and everything like that, I, I obviously I believe that he thinks there was a mistake and he didn't want to leave at that point in time. But I also feel like he's trying to save face a little bit like that because pretty much anybody that was knows the story behind it, which is that Austin refused to do the job to Brock Lesnar because he thought that it should be built up to a pay-per-view match. And then you just hear that and think, well, yeah, he's right. It should have been built well, to a pay-per-view He's match. 100% right, but I think for him, the mistake was going home for half a year mm. instead of just like, yeah, let's not do that, and then finding another way to continue working. So he noted how he was frustrated with uh, the fact that promos were now being completely scripted by people who had, who had little to no knowledge of wrestling. Good thing that changed in the in the uh, <laughs> ensuing years. Yeah, really. Uh, he spoke about his divorce with Deborah and partially blamed the fact that Deborah's career suffered once their relationship became public because that means that she couldn't separate herself from the Austin character. I think that that's a fair take. Uh, Austin noted that his heel turn was a failure, took blame for it, but also ad- took uh, attributed some blame to Triple H for refusing to turn babyface to feud with him, which seemed to be the natural progression of things, uh, leaving Austin with no strong babyface challenger because The Rock left for Hollywood at that point. That's a bit of a dig at Mr. Big Evil. Like, mm. that's a strong babyface. I think, I think it would have been worse if Hunter turned face. Because I can tell you right now, I don't like Triple H as a baby. I like him as a baby face, but he's so much better suited as a heel that I think that would have been worse. Uh, he said he wasn't happy about being so low down on the WrestleMania 18 card. I'm not happy about that either. To this day, I'm not happy about that. Uh, he said that he was happy working with both Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, but has less than positive things to say about Hulk Hogan. I always thought... and. We'll never really get into it, but I always thought the match should have been Austin-Kevin Nash. But I understand him not working with Hogan, and I think that that match would have ultimately been a failure too because Hogan matches perfectly with The Rock. He just does. Like The Austin match would not have been as good as people think. And then towards the end of it, it gets uh, more storyline heavy in the interview and essentially targets both The Rock for... The Rock's promo where he talked about Austin taking his ball and going home. Uh, even though, obviously, that's scripted, he just decides to use as an opportunity to say that the that he took that personal, with what The Rock said, even though, obviously, The Rock was scripted to say it. And also, throw a few shots at Triple H as well, because I assume at this point in time when he wrote the thing, he wasn't thinking that he was going to retire immediately after WrestleMania. So he might have thought, OK, one of my last things I'll do is do a program with Triple H as well. I, I think... There was a time where I believed that that was a possibility, even for this year's WrestleMania. And honestly, I think Triple H Austin, especially that Triple H, would have been very good. Other news. Um, so uh, essentially, uh, Anon Diaz, which was a division of Acclaim, uh, and WWE reached an agreement that would result in WWE playing, paying approximately... $1.87 million for the intellectual property and video rights to the ECW library. You're not going to have the answer to this, and I'm just going to ask it point blank. Do you think that that deal is what resulted in contracted superstars like Hogan and Guerrero and uh, all those guys being in the Acclaim Legends Wrestling series, even though they were still on live television? I can't say for certain if that was the if that was the whole 
reason behind it. I don't know whether I mean I, sh- I my assumption was that game was in development w- during the brief window where all these people were in the free agency or were like sitting on their WCW contracts. That that right. was my only assumption for it. I cuz I don't know. It's just so funny to me that there are games out there where Eddie Guerrero is a completely playable character while he's, you know, WWE champion. Yeah. So I can't say for certain if that's the case. I, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if there was some, that was some sort of like added bonus into it as well. But the, in which case, I would have thought, wouldn't they get better wrestlers for it? Not to take anything away from Eddie Guerrero because he's a great wrestler, but wouldn't you ask for The Rock or Stone Cold to be in that in that game instead? I did always think that a uh, Ric Flair was missing from those games, but yeah, I, I always thought they were fun. You know, and they're they're gems. They're not great, but they fly under the radar. Um, also, the fact that they got access to this um, ECW library and they were trying at the time to get hands on basically everything in the AEWA library as well. It was fueling rumours that there would be a WWE 24-hour channel coming soon. So they did do the uh, WWE 24-7 on demand. Mm. And I always thought that that was like a 24-7 channel, like the one that we have today. And... Honestly, people can hate on it all they want. I think the WWE Network is a legitimately great resource for so much in wrestling. So we have other stuff here. So, you know, a couple of uh, it was either a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago. I can't remember. Time just passes by immediately. But we did a little bit of analysis into, well, well Dave Meltzer, let's put it that way, did a little bit of analysis that we talked about around about the raw ratings and who was drawing the most. Right. Who was doing well in certain areas. So Meltzer, this, in this edition of the Observer that I checked out, did, did the same thing with SmackDown Superstars. So okay. we can have a little bit about that. So the superstars that were having the most positive impact on ratings, um, who would you say was having the biggest, basically in any segment, which um, outside of the main event, outside of the main event mainly, because the main event kind of skews things a little bit here and there. But in terms of just like an overall sense, who do you think on SmackDown was having the biggest, was the biggest mover of ratings in a positive way? Tori Wilson. No, she was on the uh, positive end of it, though. She's like, what? let me check the list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. She was eighth. Okay. Um, Rey Mysterio. He was sixth. Edge. No. No? No, Edge was uh, pretty neutral. Well, I, I'm guessing, like, uh, of course, again, outside the main event scene, so we're not talking, like, Brock Lesnar. Well, oh, I mean, these people, I'm not saying, like, um, I mean, main event segments of the show. I mean, like, the final quarter. It's kind of, yeah. Not main event people, as it were, but, like, okay, uh, but just, like, um, it's kind of, like, the final quarter of a show kind of sometimes skews it one way or another, unfortunately, like, too far to make it not worthwhile. All right, so I would say Kurt Angle. He was fifth. Where's Brock ranked on this? Second. Is Undertaker first? He's fourth. Really? I, I'm trying to stall on I'm hoping that number one's not Stephanie. It's not Stephanie. Stephanie was neutral as well. Okay, good. Um, Benoit? Benoit's a negative detriment. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk, about, we'll talk about the negative ones in a little <laughs> bit. But, um, I don't know. Who's number one? Number one is The Big Show. That is bullshit, and you know it. <laughs> Big Show had 
not by far, but by a, a noticeable margin, the highest positive impact on ratings from segments that he wasn't involved in to segments that he was involved in. Uh, you you know that that's just not true. <laughs> uh, second place, I mean, this is taking um, statistics from the last five months of SmackDown television that Meltzer was using for that. So it is over an extended period of time. So and obviously, Big Show came to like August or so. No, it would have been from. Um, I assume it would have been somewhere from like September to January, probably at this okay. point. So Big Show is pretty prominently because he did join SmackDown in that point, so that was a big deal when he was WWE champion for a while as well. And he was working with Brock, and he was working with Angle. So there are there are factors involved in this, but there is no denying that Big Show was there pretty consistently in terms of being a, a positive ratings mover. Uh, the other people on the positive side of things on the list, or at least like prominently on the positive side. So Big Show number one, Brock Lesnar number two, Paul Heyman number three. Yeah, well, he's in everything. <laughs> uh, Undertaker fourth, Kurt Angle fifth, Rey Mysterio sixth, Matt Hardy seventh. I appreciate and, it. And Tori Wilson eighth. Right. Uh, what about the uh, superstars having the most negative impact? So there are, yeah. So just just names and names of people you think are doing negatively. Oh, obviously I've mentioned Chris Benoit. He's on the on the higher end of the negative effects. So he's like somebody that's not. He was having a detrimental effect, but not significantly. Okay. Um, so if we're going from September to January. Yeah. Uh, to... Is Al Wilson ranked up? Al Wilson is joint worst. Oh, well, then, does that put him joint with Don Marie? Yeah, Don Marie was also joint worst. Uh, they, would, they, actually, they actually averaged out to be fairly neutral in general, but that was only, but I'm, I removed the fact that the wedding segment did really, really well. So if you took like an average of like basically everything outside of the wedding, they were the lowest there. Um, outside of that, Billy Kidman. No, Kidman's fine. Fairly neutral. Okay, good. That's good. John Cena. John Cena was a negative, but less of a negative than even Benoit was. Um, is this where we throw in? Oh, no, you said Steph was neutral. Yeah, Steph was uh, neutral, yeah. Huh. From September. Kishi's on TV a lot, but I can't see him being a negative. No, he was fairly neutral as well. Well, we haven't talked about Guerrero's. Where are they? Yeah, both both Guerrero's are negatives. Really? Um, oh. Funny enough, Eddie is a more is a bigger negative influence than Chavo was. I'm going to assume that's because he's on TV more. Presumably, yes. Well, he's involved in more segments, but Chavo was having the same sort of negative impact that Benoit was, while Guerrero's one was slightly bigger. The two other people that I have on the list, alongside Dormarine now Wilson, are Bill DeMarts. You know, I was going to say him, but... I just thought maybe he hadn't been around that long. Mm. Long enough to at least average out to be a negative. And uh, Crash Holly. Oh, that's just not fair. <laughs> well, Poor he, Crash. I think his problem was the fact that he was always involved in segments that just didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I find it interesting that Benoit is a negative. Like, Yeah, I mean, maybe again, it was getting more positive towards the Royal Rumble sort of time, but... He's a bit of a like a neutral figure overall. Like again, it's one of those people that every like people that are really into wrestling and really really like know like want to just watch the greatest matches in general. Just know how good Benoit is and know how good Guerrero is. But there's something about them that doesn't connect with the audience at large. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. But I also like, 
he was in so many segments with Kurt. So if Kurt's positive, how is Benoit not like right there? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't kind of get it as well. Obviously, I can only go by based by the statistics that are presented. And Meltzer's always struck me as a guy that's very meticulous with this sort of thing as well. So I can't really claim that it's false information. But I guess the segments that Benoit was involved with, that Angle wasn't, was would just had a serious negative impact on ratings. That's the only thing that I can guess from that. I'm trying to think of like what he did. Well, if we look at, I mean, so he, he, he had matches a lot with Guerrero. So yeah, so Big Show's a top positive around the time that Benoit starts working more with Eddie. Mm. So maybe you look at Benoit and Eddie and no tag titles, and you just go, eh, like it's not important. Yeah, I guess maybe I can understand that. Maybe they were just put in bad positions and stuff like that. There's obviously a lot of factors. It it, it may not just be due to the fact that. Benoit and Guerrero and it and the Guerreros just aren't popular or anything along those lines. There's a lot of factors that get involved in that. I just thought it was interesting to look at who was seen to be like moving the numbers for SmackDown at this point in time. Um, other stuff's going on. Uh, there was the infamous shoot promo segment in TNA involving Tony Schiavone. You know, they had a few of those, and they're really weird. Like I remember Piper. All but saying you killed Owen Hart to Vince Russo. Like, some weird shit, man. Yeah, this is the source of the the excellent Tony Schiavone line. Uh, I went there once and then quit the business for 17 or 18 years. I can't remember exactly what the number was. It's a, it's a true statement, sadly. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's uh, that, that was the thing that happened. Essentially, he went on to TV in an orange Hawaiian shirt. And badmouthed Paul Bearer, who was in the ring at the time. I, I remember that. And uh, Goldilocks, and then had a verbal exchange with Mike Tanay. <laughs> yeah, uh, which was supposed to lead, which was supposed to lead to Shivani becoming the full-time heel commentator alongside Tanay to replace Don West. It would, which would have been stupid. Yeah, like yeah. Sh- but Shivani, Shivani basically went to that taping, and then upon leaving, basically said, "I'm never going back to work for there, there again." And how they didn't scoop this guy for either Raw, I, I changed that, for especially Raw, when Eric Bischoff was running Raw, I, I'll never understand, because as we've all seen now, Tony Schiavone is great. Yeah, I guess Vince never saw anything in him. That's crazy. Vince is Vince. Um, Sting spoke on a World Wrestling All-Stars tour about how he had been close to agreeing a deal with WWE to appear at WrestleMania in some capacity. He, oh. Apparently it wasn't, to, it wasn't to wrestle, but to just be at the show. I think that if he would have been involved in that show in some capacity, it would have been in the McMahon-Hogan match. He has said in years past that Austin, and I never understood this because I didn't see this match happening, Austin was supposed to win. And then Sting's supposed to show up and point the bat at Austin. And I'm just like, that's not the match I would have wanted? No. Hey, like, that would have been a good match. Honestly. We are never getting that Sting Undertaker match. Honestly, uh, Triple H, he should have pointed the bat at Triple H. And I know we could talk about what happened, was it, 12 years after the fact? Mm. But Sting then was the perfect guy for Triple H to fight. 
Uh, the final bit of news that I have involves something that took pl- well, something that was supposed to take place at a Madison Square Garden house show, which was supposed to be the first ever one-on-one meeting of Triple H and Brock Lesnar. They did cancel that. I remember that. Yeah, due to uh, Triple H injuring his leg because Triple H is perennially injured, yet still the world champion this entire run. And it's uh, always the legs, too. Like, him and Nash have... They're just shot. Yeah. So... Basically, it left the audience furious because they had to. They replaced it on the fly with a Lesnar versus Team Angle gauntlet match. That's lame. I'm sorry. Like it's yeah. good, but when you're talking about an interpromotional match, you couldn't send like a Kane or somebody. Yeah, I think I think any way, either way, they would have been disappointed about it. But the idea with the Lesnar Team Angle thing is that Lesnar would fight Charlie Hoss and Shelton Benjamin in fairly long matches. And then he would get a WWE Championship match against Kurt Angle to close the show, but that match only went two minutes, and then Team Angle interfered and caused a DQ. Uh, so that uh, was how... That's, yeah, that that's was. pretty shitty, I gotta say. Yeah. Um, so many demanded refunds after the show. There were chance of refund after the show, so nice to see some things don't change. Uh, that's that's pretty sad. I like When you're Brock Lesnar and you've done some cool stuff, and you've actually been WWE champion in Madison Square Garden. I I think it sucks that people are turning for refunds on your second go around. So what's so that's the end of the news segment. So let's talk a little bit about Monday Night Raw. So after last week being able to get a a, a rare victory over SmackDown in the ratings, they were back down on this week's one, down from a four point one the previous week to a three point four. Hmm. So, so almost a full point dropped. Um, I guess we'll talk about the reasons why that might have been when we do our little bit of a recap on that. SmackDown back on top with a 3.8. So they actually dropped from the previous week as well, but was enough to defeat Raw. Well, so, I still think SmackDown's a much better show, especially having gone back now and just recap these Raws. It's much better. So what was Raw up to? So Evolution was officially named as a group. So that's great which, promo. Yeah. Uh, the foreman beat up Tommy Dreamer, a cut a promo, and spent the night watching the rest of the show from box seats in the stadium. Uh, Scott Steiner beat Chris Jericho in a number of contenders match in the main event to earn another opportunity at Triple H's World Heavyweight Championship at No Way Out. Yep, we will talk about that. And as far as I know, it's not as bad as the Royal Rumble one, but it's still it can only be so much better, I guess, at this point. Right. Well, I think it was better. I think it's better, especially because you have the added element of evolution. And now at least you feel like you're going somewhere, you know? Uh, There was an on-running story on Raw of Eric Bischoff driving around Texas trying to find Steve Austin. In what are great vignettes, Callum. (laughs) What are fun vignettes. Eric Bischoff, and I know you feel a certain way about him as, like, a businessman but as a character i think eric bischoff is a level just underneath the mcmahon's and good heels like just good oh no i never did i'll never deny the fact that bischoff was an excellent character just he only ever had one good idea and could never get past i'll give you that um and the show ended with vince calling uh, Eric to say if he isn't done if it isn't done by next week then Bischoff will be fired 
So that was the ultimatum to end the show, a little cliffhanger there. Uh, Kane defeated uh, Kane versus RVD ended in a no contest when uh, Jeff Hardy interfered. Poor Jeff. Uh, he slapped <laughs> Kane. He then ate a choke slam and a frog splash. Uh, Shawn Michaels then came out to try and cancel Jeff Hardy and try and just try and see the error in his ways. Jeff Hardy responded by trying to attack Shawn Michaels and he then got hit with Sweet Chew Music. So I think team. that this would have been more important and Jeff being Jeff made it not so. I think I honestly think that Jeff just getting punished because he was suspended a little while earlier. Like we talked about the fact that he was suspended from all the house shows because he kept repeatedly turn up late. So I think he's just getting beaten up for the sake of being beaten up. I don't think they I, actually have a plan for him turning heel. I wouldn't say it unless it was Sean. Because it's Sean, I feel like they could have... And Sean is very much, I just came back, I just found Jesus. Let me help this lost, misguided soul. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been pretty good. Uh, so Test called out Chris Jericho and beat up Christian for a bit. So they're building towards a Test and Jericho match. I like it. Uh, William Regal and Lance Storm defended their tag team championships against Booker T and Goldust. Uh, with Goldust then saying to Booker that they should go their separate ways so Booker can focus on his singles career. Well, um, I, I never... Well, obviously we know where this is going, but they played far too much with Dustin Rhodes being the weak link. When we know that this guy is still going and he's good. Yeah. Uh, later in the night, Goldust was attacked by Batista and Randy Orton, who sent him into an electric- electrical box and electrocuted him, which led to the uh, very famous Goldust stammering gimmick. Uh, so, oh God, it's it's so insensitive, first of all. But the the promo that he does with Triple H mm. is one of the funniest things if only for Ric Flair and Triple H's red beat faces for the entire time uh, yeah other yeah. stuff that went on uh, Victoria beat Molly Holly in a weird like heel versus heel match yeah that doesn't sound right and then Jazz came in beat up Molly Holly and stared down Victoria so basically they're telling the story that Jazz is beating up everybody until she gets to Victoria uh, maybe we're setting up heel versus heel versus heel obviously I know uh Trish is going to get added to that three-way at Mania. And D'Lo Brown beat Maven to continue his own winning streak. The black superhero, was he called last week? Yeah, pretty much, when he beat the Hurricane, yeah. Fantastic. So it's odd to see, like, 2003, D'Lo Brown's getting a push. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because in this era, we're still used to, oh, well... Their time in the sun is over, so they're old and beaten down. But like, if you look at wrestling today, and who's getting a push today? Yep. It almost seems weird that D'Lo Brown didn't didn't get more of a push in 2003. So that was Raw. That's what Raw was up to. So let's move on to the main event. So SmackDown, February the 6th, 2003. First Union Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I feel like they've I been in Pennsylvania quite baby a lot. Here. Yeah, I feel like they've been in Pennsylvania a lot. They're so very much in that era of like where not as national, let alone global, as I thought they would be. So they're very much like, well, we're in Pennsylvania, we're in New Jersey, we're in Pennsylvania, yeah. and back to Jersey. Uh, so right after the opening theme, we see a crane 
in the crowd holding up a giant wooden box with a red ribbon wrapped around it. We're it starting tag... early, folks. Yeah. It has a tag saying it's to the Undertaker from Big Show and it's lifted out of the ring by the crane. Uh, Hulk Hogan will be here tonight, they announce, uh, while The Rock will be here via satellite. Uh, the tag titles are on the line and Angle meets Benoit. Uh, basically, this is a stack show, and they've had this box out here, which is a lot of intrigue. It is far more exciting and intriguing than basically any episode of Raw in the past uh, 48 months or something. Forgive me if I'm wrong here, but shouldn't shouldn't we have started with the box? I mean, why we should have started in the ring. I don't know why the box is in the ring, but it's just I like the fact that they show you this and it's pulled away, and then you're just like. Oh, I wonder what that's all about. Like, I like the tease of it because it makes you want to stick around to watch and find out. I'll grant you that. So at least, at least it has that going for it. I don't know why they had to put it in the ring, first of all. They couldn't just have it in the crane, but I guess they felt it was more, it'd be more impactful. Like, oh, we've got this crane. We might as well use it to lift it from one side to the other. Because then we wouldn't get the shots of like Rey Mysterio and Jamie Noble coming out and during their entrances just staring at the crane. I do like the way WWE builds intrigue like that so our first match is a cruiserweight match between Rey mysterio and jamie noble and listen they don't get i don't think they even get five minutes in this match but the one thing you have to say about the cruiserweight especially these two is they make every single second count you know what this match reminded me of in 2007 during a beat the clock challenge london wrestles kendrick for five minutes and I still maintain it's one of the best five minutes I've ever seen in wrestling. Maybe, you know, it's they were so good at maximizing their time and not feeling rushed. So you have like a chain slash lucha wrestling start. Uh, Noble then just steamrolls Mysterio, knocks him down. Uh, a gut buster dropping him down from his shoulders. Uh he escapes, Mysterio escapes in a, a Donald stretch with a wheelbarrow bulldog, springboard crossbody, and then there's this awesomely sold Tornado DDT where uh, Noble basically leaps off the mat from the yeah. uh, the head cell. That's always great. Uh, Noble knocks into the referee after Mysterio shoulders him from the apron. Uh, Nidia uses this to trip Mysterio up. Noble gets a running drop kick to the outside. So they're still managing to get heat in this segment, despite the fact that they're literally only going for like three or four minutes. Uh... There's Nidia helps Noble escape a 619. Noble bounces Mysterio off the ropes into a sweet sit-out powerbomb for two. And who uses that? That's uh, Scott Dawson. Not Scott Dawson. Uh, Dax. Uh, Dax Fowler, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's a very good move. I love a good sit-out powerbomb. Jamie, it doesn't surprise me that Jamie Noble just put together the Royal Rumble match. And he's still working in wrestling because he's so good. And he's a class example of you don't need to be Shawn Michaels to be very, very, very good at this gig. But Mysterio rolls for another powerbomb into an immediate senton. And Nidia tries to get involved again, but Mysterio drop kicks Noble into her. So they're both in the middle rope. He hits a double 619, which Taz refers to the 1238. That's the first one. <laughs> First of all, that's lame. Second of all, that's always a good spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole calls Taz the Rain Man for coming up with that number. That's even worse. <laughs> um, Mysterio hits a West Coast pop and gets the victory. 
So again, very good for the time they're allocated. Mysterio gets a win as he should because he's the biggest star out of the two of them, even though Noble was great. Why is there this trend of Michael Cole acting like everybody else is a dork? I don't know. Maybe he, <laughs> I think he got frosted tips and then he just thought that he was cool by he's just cool. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good, especially nowadays when he is the biggest, one of the biggest geeks on the entire show, on a consistent basis. Yeah. This is even before he got jacked as well, so he can't even doesn't even have that to stand on. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Uh, we get to the Rock appearing from Hollywood. He gets a mainly negative reception. Very negative. Do you think they piped that in? No, I think he actually got a negative reception. He was getting booed a lot at this point. Well, it is Philly, so yeah. Um, Rock says he's cooking up a Philadelphia cheesesteak in the kitchen, or at least um. He, he didn't mention her by name, but he just said that he's got some hot woman in the kitchen making stuff for him. Uh, but then says he's only kidding because he's lactose intolerant, and then he makes a load of fart noises. <laughs> he asked yeah. the uh, yeah he asked the lady in the kitchen to make him some Tampa Bay tofu, and the crowd boo that as well. I like that The Rock knew that he's like, all right, they're gonna hate me, so I'm just gonna play into it and be the most egregious. Hollywood piece of shit. Yeah, I think I think he knows that he's turning heel at this point in time, but he's doing it in a very subtle way. Like he's still not going full fledged heel. He's being more like the baby face, the heel that thinks he's a baby face still, which I kind of appreciate. He talks about how he was in front of the Rocky Balboa statue the last time he was in Philly, and the people were chanting his name, and then a, like a really small section of the crowd start chanting his name, and the rest of them are just booing him. Uh, Rock says he will always proudly be the people's champion, but he noticed that some people were booing. And Rock says, that's fine. You can boo, you can cheer, you can do whatever you want because Rock's only out there to electrify the people. Uh, but he asks why they're booing and figures it out because they're in Philly and how Philly boos all the great sporting superstars that's ever been passed through the city before. But they've never, ever booed Hulk Hogan, which I which... think would be false in, from like 2016 onwards. But, you know, it's... <laughs> I have to imagine it might have been false then, too. Yeah. Uh, Rock says everyone loves Hogan, including him, and he's like excited about their match. But notes how Hogan disappeared, and the last time Rock saw him was in some ballet commercial with Terry Bradshaw and a Muppet. Have you ever seen that commercial? I actually watched the commercial off the back of that just to find out what it was. It's for, an, uh, it's for a phone company called 101020. 101020.: Yeah, and he's just doing ballet with mm-hmm. this guy. So I, I I don't know who Terry Bradshaw is. Should I know him? Foot, football. No, you wouldn't know. Oh, okay. Fair. Um, this is a great commercial that is burned into my brain from childhood, and not only that, it's referenced in the legendary Macho Man Randy Savage rap song "Be a Man, Hogan." Oh God, it's I I do enjoy some of this cheese. So Rock says Hulkamania will not die at No Way Out, but Rock will kick his ass and beat him. So that's basically what the promo is. I respect it. Yeah, it's 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 clean, crisp to the point. It didn't overstay its welcome, even though Rock does have tendencies just overstay his welcome occasionally. But this was pretty short by his standards. Uh, Rikishi versus Nunzio. What a hell of a mismatch this is. Ah, uh, well, here's the good news: Nunzio is proving to be a regular highlight every time I see him, and Rikishi, I have maintained throughout this journey, should be a main event player. 
So Nunzio attacks Rikishi during his entrance, and he starts delivering tackles to Rikishi's leg. Um, eventually gets him in a pin position, and Rikishi does the traditional big man kick out where you throw a guy off of you. Yep. Um, uh, and Nunzio is tiny, too, so he, he can, yeah, he can fly. Good. Yeah. Uh, Rikishi chokeslams Nunzio, kicks him in the corner. He has Nunzio in position for the stink face, but instead he hits a charging hip attack like Umaga hit. I like that move. Oh, it's a great move. I just feel like, why is Rikishi not doing the stinker face anymore? Because he's trying to be serious. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't like it because uh, I, I like it if you're actually pushing the guy, but they don't seem to actually be pushing him. And so the best thing about Rikishi was the fact that he was loads of fun and he did the stinker face, and the crowd was really excited by it. Because I feel like they're trying to teach you more serious, and I thought they may be turning heel. Obviously, he wins this match with the rump shaker immediately afterwards. But then he starts dancing for the people, and there's the pyro and all this other stuff. So they're clearly not turning him. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to show a little more aggression. Maybe uh, somebody said, hey, no more ass and face. You know, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean... What we do know out of this segment, though, is that Nunzio is very upset about this result, and he's going to be bringing in some of his people to help deal with Rikishi at a later date. Yep, and they do have uh, and the full-blood Italians. First thing they do is fight Rikishi. I don't think we get through all that stuff. I believe we do. We do? We don't get through all of it. I don't think, because the full blood Italians is around until definitely past Judgment Day. Yeah, but um, we we'll get we'll get to see the start of it at the very least. Okay, that's good. I like them. Um, so after the Rikishi dance segment, we get to Paul Heyman coming out asking for people's attention, and he asks the monkeys manning the crane to lift the crane the crate into the ring, uh, saying it's a gift for the Undertaker. Uh, Heyman, after break, is in the ring. He talks about last week, states that the Big Show is again not here tonight. Uh, the legitimate reason for this is that Big Show's back was really badly hurting still. Yeah, so he was, taking time off to, he was taking time off to recover. Uh, Heyman says that this gift will convince Taker and invites him to come down to the ring. Uh, Taker arrives on his bike in a big evil half shirt. And uh, so he's in the ring. He examines the crate for a little while, just like eyeing it up. Then he kicks it, and and then he just opens it afterwards. Like he opens it eventually, like really, really hesitantly. Like he's grabbing at the side of it and just waiting for someone to jump out. And you just see a look on the Undertaker's face of like, "What the fuck is this?" And then the camera pans over, and it's Brother Love. <laughs> so, I have always been of the opinion that they didn't play on this nearly enough at times. Like, Brother Love brought The Undertaker in, and then they just... That was of the era where you would just drop shit when shit didn't work. Yeah. You know? like Yeah. So, he was only the manager of The Undertaker for a couple of months before they switched over to... He was handing over to Paul Bearer, which was obviously a much, much better fit. And, yeah, but there is that relationship there, and Brother Love jumps up on The Undertaker, gives him a big hug... Do you think Bruce Pritchard's ever done that to Mark Calloway behind the scenes? Absolutely. I think he's done it more than once. Lass <laughs> uh, that he's here to give a message of love and forgiveness uh, for Take to forgive the big show. Uh, he says that he was the one to bring Undertaker to WWE 
and ask Undertaker if he still remembers the lessons of love and forgiveness that he taught him when he first joined. Uh, Taker, just yelling at the Undertaker, telling him that he needs to forgive the big show and remember all the things I taught you. And Taker eventually shuts him up, uh, stops him yelling. He grabs love around the throat, delivers a choke slam, and then he delivers a tombstone pile driver because I presume that's safer to take than the last ride is. I think so. So, uh, Bruce what, do you, what do you here. think about uh, Brother Love as a character? I, I honestly, I don't know enough about the origin behind it because obviously I wasn't watching at that point in time. If I knew what the origin or the purpose of it was originally, then I'd be, I'm, I might be more involved in it. From my perspective of like very limited exposure, like only these sort of segments and a few funny other ones. So, yeah, it's a bit, it's like a one note joke. Very, very one note to me. Like it's funny the first, maybe second time you see it, and then after that, it's just like, okay, I've seen, I've seen you do everything your character does. Just go away. Are television preachers as big overseas as they are over here? No, of course they're not. Well, that that would be why maybe this gimmick doesn't click with you, because we have a lot of that in America, and I think it's funny just because that. They are legitimately like that. <laughs> oh no, I don't. I, yeah, I don't. Um, I I don't doubt that for a second. It's just, yeah, it's not really connecting to me. Again, if I knew the backstory a little bit more, then maybe I would be. But I'm 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 definitely not going to be um searching that out though. I don't really feel <laughs> feel the need to. If I ever find out, I find out. But um, we see Hogan walking backstage. Uh, he shakes hands with two guys I do not recognize, and I can't find any information about online. I assume they were just like trainee guys or something like that but i have no idea who they were um maybe they're like ovw class that we just never saw yeah i imagine so something like that um he then walks into brock lesnar and obviously yeah. last time they saw each other um Lesnar was smearing blood away yes smearing <laughs> his blood away but uh, his, his chest uh they stare down lesnar then smiles and says welcome back and then lets hogan walk by nice guy brock lesnar yeah, I I don't know whether I like that or not because yeah, I know Lesnar's a babyface now, but that doesn't mean that you should just forget about everything. Well, I think had we, I think had Hogan stayed, we would have gotten more of that. I think they should have just done something where like Lesnar's standing there, like face to face with Hogan. Hogan decides he's going to walk away. Lesnar just slightly steps in front of him just to give you that little tease, and then and then he just lets him by. I think that would have been better than Lesnar just say, "Hey, welcome back," smiling at him and then just walking out, getting out of his way. I think it should have been they bump into each other, like nothing is said, and Lesnar kind of moves past Hogan because you can't have Hogan run away, but also Brock can dismiss Hogan because he can say, "I'm already done with you," you know? Yeah, yeah, something like that. But obviously they couldn't be too heelish because the fans would turn, maybe turn on Lesnar then. Yeah, Hogan was still very much beloved. Uh, Billy Kidman versus Matt Hardy. So we learned that Matt Hardy has a TV slash DVD player in his car, which I assume at the time was a big deal. That's that's amazing in 2002 or 2003. And then he usually exceeds the speed limit. Man, do not admit that on live TV. Or like, it was not live, but like recorded TV. It's just like, okay, 
I guess um, the police cars will be following him a lot closely, and not even just because of the weed that's probably in there. <laughs> I think it, what a different time where you could just say shit like that. It was no big deal. Oh, he's a wrestler. Yeah, I, I speed. I you know I go past speed limit. Uh, they show a replay of Hardy attacking Kidman the previous week. Uh, Hardy uses uh, Shannon Moore as a human shield early. Uh, Kidman backdrops him out of the way, but then he, he eats a side effect. So that's the early start with the side effect. Uh, Hardy dominates for a while. The crowd chants uh, for Jeff Hardy, which shows that his heel turn is really working out well. <laughs> they just love Jeff. Uh, head scissors by Kidman gets a bit of a reprieve, but Hardy applies a sleeper hold. Kidman escapes that, hits a drop kick, BK bomb for two. Um, Hardy like uniquely catches Kidman out of the corner, drops him on the ropes. Uh, he goes for a twist of fate, but Kidman escapes, hits his step-up bulldog, gets a two-count for that. Um, Hardy climbs up with Kidman to prevent the shooting star press, but Kidman fights him off, goes for a double sledge, like Kidman going for a double sledge. <laughs> but yeah. uh, Hardy kicks him in the gut. That's obviously the, that's when you know that this spot is not going to hit, when a wrestler like Kidman goes for a double sledge. It's like, oh, he's going to get kicked in the gut. That's what happens. <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Uh, Hardy kicks him in the gut, calls for a twist of fate, but Kidman jackknife pins him and, yeah, gets the free count. I like it. You know, decent match. They're obviously going to Hardy in the cruiserweight division. We know that because benefit of hindsight. And I think for a while, Hardy's cruiserweight one run is the best thing he did. Oh, yeah, it's an awesome run. but And we get to... I, I we'll get to see the very very origins of that when we talk about No Way Out and the week after that, but uh, we won't get to see it in full unfortunately. Again, we'll get to see it at WrestleMania as well. But um, Hardy in shock after his defeat talks to the commentators, says Kevin got lucky, and that through attitude he'll go from his current weight, which he says is two hundred and thirty pounds, which I think is a lie, <laughs> to two hundred and twenty pounds to challenge for the cruiserweight championship because I think I don't he's think... already I think he's already two twenty if that. <laughs> I doubt he's much over 200. Yeah. So, but that's obviously... Oh, that's how fast the Mattitude works. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know? Um, Like, through Mattitude, he feels like he's 230 pounds, so he needs to get down to 220. I love that. Um, The weekly huddle by Team Angle. uh, Talk about their retrospective matches for tonight. Uh, Angle says that he wants them to soar like an eagle tonight, but not a fake eagle like the Philadelphia Eagles. Because you have to take pots at, pot shots at the uh, hometown. Of course you do. How else are you going to get your cheap heat, Cal? Yeah. Uh, he tells them to bring home the gold. They put their hands in. They all psyched up to go for the match. And that's what we have now for the WWE Tag Team Championships. Los Guerreros defending against Team Angle. Wrestling, Cal. It's a, it's a good match. I think at times it was a bit over the top, a little bit overly chaotic about who's who's in what place and who's legal and who's not legal. But overall, these all four guys are really good workers, so they're going to have a good match. Yes. Um, there's still something like a mixed reception for Los Guerreros as they come out. They're not being like belovedly cheered, but they're not being booed out of the building as well. Um, interesting, Paul Heyman is managing Team Angle tonight. Yeah, I think that that's good. He still was their manager. Yeah, absolutely. But just it seemed a bit... Strange just seeing him there, but yeah, that that makes sense. Um, there's a creative like sign I saw in the crowd of somebody that had drawn up all members of Team Angle as like little babies. 
I miss creative crowd signs. And this goes well beyond the pandemic. Like, they had stopped being fun a long time ago. I know. The most creative thing we've got in the pandemic era is the guy that decided to put a Pikachu still on his camera. <laughs> that was... They should let more people do that. I just want to see, like, the Pikachu meme and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Benoit's too far, but the other stuff's fine. Yeah, no, there's something good. You should have a little fun with it. Uh, they get some chain wrestling early on with Benjamin and Chavo. Eddie and Haas finish that as well. They could do a bit more. Um, Guerrero start taking over. They start doing their mixed, like, heel tactics still because they're choking with the robes and they're doing fake tags and all the other stuff. So they're still working like heels, but they're getting more of a babyface reaction for doing it. Uh, they, at one point, they both trip Benjamin. They pull him crotch first into the ring post. Uh, you know, vintage babyface move, you know, attacking the other guy's crotch. Yeah. Um, after a long struggle, Benjamin hits a backdrop, tags in Haas. Um, action breaks down as Haas and Benjamin and Eddie are whipped into each other. And then Benjamin lifts Chavo to the apron. Uh, Eddie drop kicks Benjamin into the ref, into Chavo, who goes flying into the announce table. So that's kind of Chavo knocked out of the equation. And after the break, we see Team Angle has the heat on Chavo. And uh, they say, the commentary says that the referees almost threw out the match because Chavo bounced off the announce table. That's... Do they expect anybody I mean, to I mean, believe you can, that? I mean, you can have like, injuries can happen in strange times and stuff like that. I mean, um, what was it? Uh... Like, uh, Neville got injured against Jericho by just, like, landing or something, wasn't it? He just was walking or whatever, and he just, his leg gave out. I grant you that. Yeah, so, but they decide to keep going. Uh, so they do the uh, leapfrog splash by Benjamin Haas. They go for another, but Eddie trips Benjamin, and then there's another, like, four-way brawl that breaks out. Uh, Chavo reverses a double back body drop into a double DDT. Uh, Eddie makes the hot tag, he runs wild, hits... What I believe is the first in this journey of the three amigos. Yeah. Which is like, oh my God, he just, he broke this out, that out for the first time on TV in, obviously it's a, a tag team title match, but I just felt like it would have been more significant than that. You know what though? It's really not because it only becomes significant now because he's gone. And, you know, at that point it was like, oh, cool. Eddie hit three suplexes. You know, they're not calling it. The three amigos. I I think that part of it helps it. But yeah, first three amigos, vintage Eddie Guerrero added on February sixth, two thousand three. Uh, I love this spot as well. Eddie hits a superplex on Charlie Haas, and immediately Charvo's leaping off the other corner into a frog splash. Uh, pin is broken up by Benjamin. I know it feels weird having Charvo do the frog splash, but he was really good at the frog splash as well. He wasn't Eddie, but he was good at it. The thing is, Chavo does a brain buster and Eddie does a frog splash. Like, just do do that. <laughs> Chavo then hits a tornado DDT and Eddie climbs up, so he's going to go for a frog splash combo as well. Benjamin pushes Eddie off into the announce table. Chavo then dives onto Benjamin. Uh, Haas hits a belly to belly, gets two. Uh, goes for the leapfrog setup, but they nearly drop Eddie out of the ring in the process. Like Eddie's just like almost leaning all the way out over the side of it. I don't think he even knew what that move was for a second. But uh, they do manage to hit it after a bit of a camera cut. Um, Team Angle set up for a double superplex on Eddie, but Chavo hits an electric chair on Haas. Eddie hits a sunset flip powerbomb onto Benjamin. Love that. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Heyman then stops Eddie climbing up, but Chavo hits him with a plancher. So even Heyman's taking bumps in this match. Of course he is. You have to know, like... 
this for him this is like ECW. Like he loves his stuff. Yeah. But this is when it gets slightly too over convoluted to me because Eddie then hits the frog splash on Benjamin. But the referee then says that Benjamin's not legal. And but even though Eddie hit that scientific power bomb a couple of seconds ago, made a pin attempt, and the referee started counting, but then Eddie actually got off the pin himself because he realised maybe he realised that Benjamin's not legal and that's not the way it's supposed to go. And probably uh, the referee was told in his ear that Benjamin's not legal. That's what the finish is. Huh. So it got a little bit confusing to me. But then Eddie, obviously he's in the pin on ben, he has the pin on Benjamin. Benjamin's not legal, so Hus leaps in. Hits a La Magistral Cradle and pins Eddie Guerrero. And we have new tag team champions. Straight to the moon. They've been there for what, like a month? Yeah, they've been, yeah, they started weeks, in uh, late, yeah, late December, I think they started. Like, straight to the moon. And I, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's how you get a, a new team over by giving them titles immediately. But yeah, obviously they had, they knew they had something very good with uh, Benjamin and Haas and yeah, become tag team champions. Uh, Los Guerreros don't really lose too much by dropping it here. They've held it very well here, and they'll get more opportunities down the line. They will. No, they won't. Oh, they become tag champions again. Oh, Eddie becomes tag team champion. It's Jerry. Yeah, but then they then they drop it again to um, uh, Team Angle, and then he wins it back with Chavo. Oh, I I seem to have like lost that. Yeah, that was that was when he was a double champion when he was US and tag champion. Oh, very cool. That was a time when double champions actually like were less uh, frequent than they are nowadays. Yeah, and they actually defended both titles. Uh, but yeah, very good match overall. Nice uh, title change, big moment on an episode of SmackDown. Always good to see. Um, uh, God. I'll say another big moment is uh, Hulk Hogan's entrance. Uh, yeah, like people playing... love Hulk Hogan. Oh. Yeah, he's playing to the crowd. This entrance isn't quite as long as the uh, as the big like eight minute standing ovation he got a few weeks ago, but it felt fairly long, but obviously it's terrible because of the awful network music they play instead of um, uh, Voodoo Child. And that is why, as dumb as it is, I like when Tony Khan buys songs in perpetuity. I'm like, okay, but that's how you do it. Yeah. So that we never have to worry about this dumb shit. I mean, I I know they're strapped for cash, WWE, so maybe they can't afford to do that sort of thing. But you know, it's. <laughs> Yeah. God, like, just just pay for Voodoo Child. I don't care how much it costs. Like, that's that. It, that was the the song. Or just put Real American on instead. Why? Yeah. At that point, who cares? Like, you're putting a fake Voodoo Child that nobody associates with anybody. Um, <sighs> but before he gets to say anything, uh, he's cut off by the Rock, who's appearing again via satellite. Uh, Rock says Hogan is great, and he's looking forward to the rematch. He wants to sit back and hear what Hogan has to say. Rock then points to him at start, like points at him to start, like a director would. Uh, Hogan talks about his challenge to McMahon, wasn't expecting the Rock and his shaved head to be here. And I just thought, well, it's really rich of uh, Hulk Hogan to have a go at somebody for having shaved head. Yeah, because he doesn't want to be sitting there balding Hulk. Yeah, uh, Rock starts yawning on camera. Uh, he asks Hogan to fast forward to the part that everyone wants to hear, where he just like hulks up and says, "What you gonna do, brother?" and all that other stuff. I appreciate that. Uh, Hogan then runs down the rock for a little bit, but Rock cuts him off and says that his tofu's ready. Uh, so he tells Hogan not to bore the people, cut to the chase, do his poses, and leave. And I then really uh, appreciate that. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. Rock asks Hogan to remind him to whip that ass at No Way Out. Uh, tells his um, tells the lady to get the tofu and pie ready for him, and then he does the uh, if you smell line and leaves. Uh, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Hogan does not take his advice. He decides to continue on for a little bit longer. Uh, he talks about how Rock shouldn't be calling him boring when he was booed out of the building at Raw's 10th anniversary. Uh, oh. He then calls out, out that man's accusations from the previous week, including that he created Hulkamania and that it's currently on life support and that he can't be trusted. And he doesn't basically he just repeats everything that man said. Somebody said Hulk Hogan can't be trusted. Who did that? <laughs> ah. uh, Hogan, sa- Hogan says McMahon is full of shit. He actually says shit, but they'll say bleep it out uh, because he's edgy Hogan. Yeah, and and he's scared to death of getting in the ring with him. Um, Hogan says that him and The Rock will be the rematch of all rematches. He calls Rock Rocker Jabroni, which I assume I, was meant to be clever. Yeah, Rocker Jabroni, that's stupid. Yeah, uh, says it will be electrifying. Says the millions of Hulkamaniacs will be booing him out of the building at No Way Out, and then he does the "What you gonna do?" line, and then it's yep, yeah, that's that's the segment. It, not, it, not, it was good. It was good until Hogan like was left on his own. I appreciate that rock. Like, like no, just shut up, do your thing, and just go home. It it is sort of segments like this, and then and a lot of other segments just make me feel like Rock is just once in a lifetime. Actually. Yeah, it's just like he. There is not ever going to be. I mean, Roman's doing great right now, and I don't want to take anything away from him, or don't want to take anything away from Cena or other people. Even don't want to take away from people like Hogan and. Austin, but like there is no one who's ever been in WWE like The Rock. The Rock has a pulse on society like nobody has ever, and nobody will ever. He just knows what people want and gives it to them. When people want to hear him say Fruity Pebbles, he just says Fruity Pebbles. When people want him to be a heel, he will give them that, you know. Ah. Rock is great. So we have a group of geeks watching Hogan on the monitor backstage. One of them being Brian Kendrick, who is then approached by Sean O'Hare. Now, I know you wanted to see this thing, so <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely give you the floor once the opportunity does. But we can barely hear their conversation because the stupid imposed Hogan music is like the network's putting on just overbearing. Like it's going so loudly that you can't hear anything that O'Hare and Kendrick are saying to each other. Eventually, it, it dies down a little bit, and we see uh, O'Hare says that he's impressed by Kendrick's guts last week and says that he should make another impact here tonight. He talks about the Nike Shock commercial because yep. Kendrick is wearing a Nike Shock uh, boot, the shoes, or like, I guess you call them as sneakers, I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, basically, he hands Kendrick a scarf, uh, inferring that Kendrick should streak around the building. Uh, O'Hare ends it saying, but he's not telling uh, Kendrick anything that he doesn't already know. And then he leaves. Uh, Kendrick, spurred on by the manipulation of O'Hare, puts on the scarf and strip down, strips down as the show face commercial with all the wrestlers just looking at this guy getting naked in front of them. First of all, I think Brian Kendrick, because I know a little bit of his real life beliefs, would be great for this devil's advocate stuff Mm. uh this commercial was okay when you're a kid 
Yeah, well, even sometimes now, too. When you're a kid and there's just a guy streaking across a soccer field as a commercial for shoes, it was the funniest thing. And when you add WWE, anyway, I'll let you get to the get to the segment and then I'll keep going. Yeah, so can I ask, first of all, because WWE doesn't have a great track record of being on the pulse of things, how recent was this night this shot? Was, no, they were right there. Oh, that's they good. They were right there. Yeah. Okay, so we, what we're supposed to have is A-Train versus Shannon Moore. So A-Train makes his entrance, but before he can even get to the ring, we see a naked man in a scarf, <laughs> or supposedly naked man. I assume he was wearing some sort of like flesh-coloured... Uh, trunks or whatever because they weren't actually going to let a naked man run out <laughs> yeah the there's some stories about like vincent man demanding lita be naked during the live sex celebration yeah there there are parts like that but uh kendrick like charged past him supposing like he dances about in the ring uh th- this is honestly this is juvenile as it gets. It's fucking hilarious, this entire segment. It's <laughs> yeah. so, because it's made... You know what makes this better? Because it, Kendrick is great in this segment. What makes it even better is the fucking referees. Because they are trying to tackle this guy. They're, bound, they're jumping all over for him to try and grab hold of him. Like, he runs around country. Colin Taz is making jokes about how he has a small dick. <laughs> like, Cole, Michael Cole is making jokes about how Brian Kendrick has a small penis. <laughs> it's it's just good. Like it's it's so silly, but it works and it's perfect for the time. Yeah, it like escapes through the crowd. We actually have the match that goes on. It goes less than a minute. It's a bicycle kick, a guillotine, catapult, and then the train wreck, and a train defeat. Shannon Moore. No, that's not the story here. No, that's not the story because Kendrick returns immediately, being chased by the ref through the crowd. Uh, he avoids another by hopping the barricade. He gyrates on the post. A-Train tries to clothesline him, but he ducks that. He's eventually like cornered at ringside. But he isn't because he escapes under the ring. He just waltzes through there. He stops again on the other side, but he dies through the legs of the security guard. He runs up the ramp all the way backstage. So he's escaped capture for this time, for the time being. Yeah. Uh, we it's... come back and meet... Oh, go ahead. No, just, I was just going to put over the segment again. It's just so good. Uh, it's not over yet, though, because uh, after the break, we cut backstage where Stephanie McMahon is on the phone talking to someone about if Bischoff managed to sign Steve Boston yet. Uh, Kendrick's still on the run. He dives into a room, uh, conveniently the SmackDown general manager office. Uh, he walks up, and Stephanie's still on the phone, like, stops talking because, like, she sees a naked man in front of her. Uh, Stephanie's, like, bemused. Like, he stands there. He tries to play it cool. He says that, like, he's really excited to meet her. He holds his hand out to, like, have a handshake. At this point, a load of security guards and referees bust into the room, grab him around. He's, like, saying, it's very nice to meet you. It's like he's just dragged away. And Stephanie says, uh, um, Stephanie says, yeah, I could could see that. Because he obviously got an immediate erection looking at Stephanie (laughs) McMahon. Uh, like literally, <laughs> he wasn't in front of her for more than ten seconds, and in that point in time, he managed to get a full-on boner. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> that is the power of Stephanie McMahon, the hottest woman, woman, and most powerful woman in the all, entire history of WWE. You know what? I'll allow it in 2003 because Stephanie was probably peak Stephanie. 
there. But man, this is fantastic. This, if they could continue to do culturally relevant humor like this, it would just be. It's, that's what wrestling should be in these uh, sports entertainment segments. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I say, it is juvenile. It's not It's not exactly the most highbrow material. It's a guy running around a building naked. Well, you know what? Wrestling isn't meant to be highbrow. And no, I, but Kendrick, so Kendrick, does, Kendrick does it so good. Like, he does such a good job here. Like, he's a highly underrated superstar in history, really. Yeah, and again, I think he could totally bring back the Devil's Advocate gimmick and crush it. So, before we get to the main event, John Cena comes into the ring wearing a ridiculous Harlem Globe Globetrotters-style jumpsuit. Well, what's uh, ridiculous about this? <laughs> this is fantastic. I'll tell you what's ridiculous about it. Where's Red Dog? Well, he has other pressing business to attend to. I'll, t- I'll tell you where Red Dog is. He's gone. He won't be back. That's For it. Now. Red- he, he's somewhere else. He'll be on Raw eventually, as it's, Rodney Mack. Yeah, it's... Uh... He's about to tell the suckers what they need to do. Yeah, but uh, yeah, because um, they decided um, I'm not too comfortable with the idea of pushing D'Lo Brown. Can we find someone else to do that instead? And like, oh, let's do Rodney Mack instead. Right. So that that's the story there. Uh, Cena calls out Brock Lesnar. Essentially, demands a match with him and does a like freestyle rap both on Lesnar and bad mouthing the Philadelphia crowd. So. Obviously, I'd try and pick out some choice lines. Um, he calls Brock Lesnar dumb, and he says the FI stands for Fifi Fo Farm Forgot My Name. <laughs> John is trying. Um, okay, so here's the uh, one that's probably would be uh, very much against the scene at Ethos nowadays. Uh, you're so clumsy, you couldn't beat a cripple in a dance-off. Um, <laughs> the man is releasing children's motivational books. I, well, I, well, I, I wasn't. I'm not finished yet. Uh, so after that, so you're so clumsy you couldn't be a cripple in a dance off. Want to see the next big thing? Then let me take my pants off. Oh my god, it's so good. That is like, so fucking good. As a, I mean, I know it's so offensive, but it's so good as a line. <laughs> that, it's, he has some really, really good innuendo throughout all of these segments that we're we're not gonna see a lot of them but like that's come on if you're gonna make a dick reference there it is like that that's really good yeah it it is an awesome line um what's not so awesome is when he he makes the challenge to lesnar and then he does a rewind motion yeah that didn't work on the main roster john Uh, and then he says he'll kick Brock Lesnar's ass next week. So next week in the main event, we get Brock Lesnar versus John Cena. That's not going to end well for John. So that's their second match because they had one where Cena was like the white meat baby face against the heel Lesnar a couple of weeks ago. But obviously it, it seems like it's a big deal when it's John Cena against Brock Lesnar. Because, yeah, because of because, hindsight, obviously. Yeah, because they are two of the biggest stars in wrestling. John Cena is legitimately our Hulk Hogan, you know, and it starts here. Well, it starts not here, but it starts next week, and 
sky's the limit. So speaking of, well, speaking of things that uh, we get pretty much every single week, uh, which is Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit in the main event. See, this goes right back to my, how is one a positive and the other a negative? They're always together. Uh, I want to talk about this. Uh, Karen, only the matches in which they've been opponents since the start of this series, since the start of the series began, this is their 10th match together on That's TV amazing. and pay-per-view. Um, and there are a further nine matches in which they were tag team partners. That's... You know what? That's just about what made this series so appealing in the first place, though. Absolutely. But just like it does feel a little bit like Apollo Crews only faces people in the Hurt Business for like three months or whatever that was. Do you think if we were younger, would we care about like that kind of stuff? I th- if we were younger, we wouldn't care. I think if we were this age now, back then, we probably would be. We a bit probably would have cared. Yeah. yeah. So that's the difference. As you get older, things get worse. That's basically the. That's yeah, basically which is the a terrible second. disposition. But you're right. Yeah. Not not to uh, obviously upset anybody that's listening. That's of a younger age than both of us in our late twenties. Uh, life does just start. We're sorry. Start. We're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blame us. Blame life. That's how life right. works. Um, now we need to talk about something that's a little bit. Well, something that we only have to talk about in Benoit segments, which is that there was an interview segment prior to this match that was cut out of the WWE Network. Gee, I wonder why. What did he say, Cal? So Benoit referenced the ovation that he received at the Royal Rumble. Um, where he returned home to his wife and son, telling him how proud they were of him for his performance. Uh, obviously, that already cuts to the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt then says that how arrives and like says to Benoit that his wife is the WWE Championship and his gold medals are his children. Like that sort of like little joke reference there. And then the thing that probably did cause this to be cut out completely, uh, Benoit responded by saying that he looks forward to the day. He can take Angle's family away from him. Oh, God. What? Oh, Oh, no. There's a lot there. I was going to make a joke about, well, Kurt, if title's your wife and the gold medals are kids, that's probably why Karen later found herself with Jeff. But wow, that that just makes me not want to tell any jokes anymore. No, it's a uh, it's a little hard to go back to again. It's it's the dichotomy of having to talk about Chris Benoit, like having having a huge amount of admiration for the in ring worker that he was, and just trying to balance that out with the fact that You're by the end of his monster? life, he was, yeah, like... fuck, yeah, by the end of his life, he was a fucking monster that again did what he did. So we don't we don't have to go into detail about that. But suffice to say, that sort of phrasing would be difficult for someone to go back and listen to. Yeah, but I'm trying to be. We're trying to be completionists here. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's so weird, and I I often wonder about the the current state of mental and emotional awareness, and how different that could have factored in, but it just wasn't. It just didn't exist, you know. And I think about that a lot, especially with Benoit, because there's so much we can't even touch with him. So, essentially, this match is pretty much... I don't want to say it's pretty much the same as what you'd expect from it, but obviously it's a really good match. But I do want to give them a lot of credit because they've had to wrestle a lot, and yet they're still finding different spots to do. 
and obviously we'll talk about that throughout this but like i appreciate the fact that they're always trying to mix up the formula a little bit to try and do something a little bit different in every match i think it's easy when you know like when the both of you have a similar approach it's easy to be like okay we can toss it up like this because they're probably both willing to talk to each other and hey what if we did this and just change it up like this because you know we know benoit was meticulous about making sure things were different and you know not wanting to give fans the same spots over and over uh, after a little while Heyman arrives at ringside when angle takes control um and at one point he even charges chris benoit on the floor so Heyman is getting very physical tonight yeah, it's uh, it's Philly. He's home. Uh, Angle at some point, uh, like, is bleeding from the mouth at one point for some reason. Just like, again, these two just work very stiff, so it's just going to happen occasionally. Uh, we'll obviously talk a little bit more about that later on. But uh, uh, Benoit escapes a grapevine choke. He runs to a kitchen sink knee. Uh, he fights back eventually with chops and a back body drop. But Angle reverses a German suplex attempt into the ankle lock. Benoit reverses that into a pin. He locks in the crossface. Angle rolls through. He attempts an angle slam, but Benoit reverses that into a pin attempt. Uh, German by Benoit. Angle blocks another. He attempts an angle slam. Benoit escapes midair, a little clunkily, but he ends up in the crossface again because they just counter after counter after counter after counter because these guys can just get into any position they want to at any point. I think, and we'll talk about this maybe even years down the line in retrospect, I think that this style of wrestling is about to make a major comeback. I would hope so. I'm hoping that, like, I'm I'm seeing bits of it with, like, the pure championship in Ring of Honor. I do love just watching just matches from that every now and again. It's just really good. I've been noticing a lot of wrestlers have been talking about cutting out the flips and going more towards, a like, a technical style. And I think I, I'm totally here for it. Yeah, that'd be good to see. Um... Basically, with so many reversals and counters in this match, it's basically like basically every online game that you would play on, like SmackDown versus like not SmackDown versus Raw, but like a like a any of the WWE and WWE 2K games, where it's just like oh, we just put infinite reversals on them, we're just pressing R2 repeatedly after one after another, yeah. or whatever. Um, so Angle grabs the ankle while in the crossface, uh, forcing him to break it, but Benoit reverses again into the crossface. Angle this time reaches the ropes. Uh, Benoit goes for the headbutt, but Angle scales up for a suplex, but Angle, Benoit tosses him away. Angle fights back. It hits a buckle bomb. Uh, his, that's the man. It's innovation. Yeah. But then Benoit hits a flipping release German suplex because he because Angle loves that spot. Loves taking that spot, clearly. Um, uh, do you blame him? No. So if you can do it, then go ahead. Um, Benoit is bleeding heavily over the eye after colliding heads with Angle earlier. But he still hits another German suplex. He flies with the headbutt, but Angle dodges at the very last second. Uh, Angle avoids the German suplex, hits another angle slam, or hits his first angle slam, pins Benoit off the angle slam, which I didn't actually expect. Because it was one well, angle slam. You know what, though? I think it's a TV match, and you're putting your finisher over. I like it. No, 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 I'm totally happy with him doing it. It's just like I wasn't expecting it. That's almost made it better. Um, but yeah, another great match, another very physical, good match between these two, both of them bleeding at the end of it. Uh, post-match, Angle offers a handshake to Benoit. Yeah, I believe this is the final singles match we'll see between the two of them. You know what, man? 
I, I got to say, it's the reason I was so excited to do this series. So kudos to those two men for always knocking it out of the park, whether it was tags, three ways, four ways, singles, and we literally saw all of it. Congratulations do, to them. Kyle, do they ever have another singles match again? Oh, because um, I can't think of it. Like there may have been one in like, because I know they were both on Raw in two thousand. Well, actually, Ben Wamp switched over to SmackDown when Angle went over to Raw in the uh, in one of the drafts. Unless it's in, unless it's uh, no, I don't think they do. So is this is this realistically the last ever match between Kang and Chris Moore in singles competition? At the very least, it's the last televised match. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a hell of a thing, right? That's there. wow. That I, makes it feel a little bit more significant now, doesn't it? I I mean, when you think about Kurt Angle, and Kurt Angle is one of the very few people who has no qualms about bringing up Chris Benoit and the impact that Chris Benoit and the matches with Benoit had on his career. It's it's his the best shit you could ever watch i mean like you watch the wrestling you watch today i think because these guys exist yeah i'm just checking a cage match now uh yeah this is their final ever singles match on television wow yep uh man that's historic i mean it, it and it truly is like you know we obviously know the last austin rock match is at wrestlemania the last uh, I think the last Shawn Michaels Triple H match might have been on a random Raw in 2008 or nine, But, like, this match, this is one of those feuds that I can't believe they never did it again. Because they're both active for another four years. So yeah. I can't... That's crazy. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, funny enough, it's... the um, They only share the ring three more times. One of them said no way out. One of yeah, one of them would talk about saying no way out with the uh, main event in there, and the other two are two Royal Rumbles. They never have another match. Not even like at a house show in Bloxy or something. No, because because cage. To be fair, cage match I think only lists the uh, TV shows and pay per views, so they may have had house show matches. But as far as on TV, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's, that's a lot for them. That's insane. I I. You know what? That's that just took on a whole new meaning of this match, and this is a great match, and it just takes on a whole new meaning. It also adds wow. more meaning to like the uh, match of the Royal Rumble because that was like their penultimate ever match. Yeah, and it's the match that I think I don't know if I talked about this, but Triple H had said to Kurt Angle because Kurt Angle said this on the Austin show that like that's the match that he said I've never seen a better wrestling match. I can't follow that. And I have to assume that that's what he said. Give me Benoit. I can work with him. So, yep. So now we've uh, looked into just how big of a deal this match is. Um, post-match, Angle offers the handshake to Benoit. He begrudgingly accepts. Angle raises his hand, which I actually feel like... I know, obviously, what happens afterwards happens, but that feels like the right thing to do now. Yeah. When you think better in context, like just that one little moment. But Team Angle charged the ring... They start a three-on-one beatdown of Benoit because they're dirty, rotten scoundrels. I love it. Uh, Edge gets in, he spears Angle, but Team Angle then gang up on him. But Brock Lesnar is soon behind him, drops both Team Angle members with F5s, 
to uh, leave the baby faces standing strong at the end. So, overall, good show. I really think it would have been a fun six man, and it was great with uh, the handicap match that we get. But it would have been a really good six man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, this is a again a fun show. I think a lot of the matches, a lot of the matches were short, but mostly were done really well. Uh, everything seemed to have a purpose behind it. So it's either like the Matt Hardy Billy Kimmon thing, we're building towards a cruiserweight title match there. Uh, the Rikishi and Nunzio were leading towards the uh, development of the FBI. The only match that didn't really serve any sort of purpose was Mysterio and Noble, but that's just because Mysterio and Noble was like a good match. Even though like, obviously A Train and Moore as a match didn't mean anything, but we got the Brian Kendrick stuff instead, and that was fun. So yeah, I think that it was just really entertaining for the most part of this episode. Yeah, this is one of those that really makes you sad that we're almost done. Mm. Like, this was a really fun look, and I'm glad that I have gone on this journey. Well, we still have three more episodes to go. So what are we going to be talking about next week? Well, next week, the uh, we obviously mentioned the main event side of things is going to be... Uh, uh, Chris Benoit. It's going to be uh, John Cena against Brock Lesnar. So and, and an important match. Mm-hmm. It is a Valentine's themed edition of SmackDown because it takes place on the 13th of February. So yeah. they they do some stuff revolving around that, including for the first time we've seen them since like the Royal Rumble, Tory Wilson versus Dawn Marie in a Valentine's Day bra and panties match. Yep, I I almost. Never mind, just go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say Al Wilson didn't die for this, and then I felt bad, but, like, you know, and it just, how dare they? Like, this was such a big thing for them. Like, they couldn't pretend. Mm. Uh, it's just the way, the way things go, I guess, sometimes. Um, we also have, uh, let me just double-check this stuff. Uh, we have... Chris Memorial against the A-Train. Shelton Benjamin against Eddie Guerrero. I couldn't uh, even gets that. to care about Chris Memorial and the A-Train, I gotta tell you. Uh, see the uh, debut of the full-blooded Italians, Rey Mysterio against Matt Hardy. And, again, another significant moment, uh, the, the last Edge match of 2000, up until 2005. Don't you mean 2004? 2004, yeah. I forgot that he came no, back. No, he skipped two manias. He didn't skip yeah. two years. Yes, okay. So, yeah, the final edge match until uh, Backlash 2004, I believe, was which the first is, match back. Which is sad, quite frankly, because he's on a high. Um, there's also another What's in the Box, and this one's a little cringy. Oh, yeah, I, we will, oh, yeah we, we, will, we will talk about that, yeah. Um, there, there will be stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there'll be plenty of stuff as per usual to talk about on this uh, journey as we only have a few more episodes to go so we've got February 13th, February 20th and February 27th is our final the final stop on our journey or at least for the main show we obviously have another side of things which is on the Patreon so if you are not on the Patreon uh, like patreon.com slash moment if you sign up you can sign up on every, any single tier that you want to for anything from a dollar upwards and any amount is obviously greatly appreciated, but if you are willing to stump up $10, that gives you access to the Dark Cast, where we have these special editions, the Paul Heyman's Fat Down podcast, where we do pay-per-view reviews, 
So we have every single pay-per-view we've reviewed up here, starting at Vengeance 2002 all the way to now. And our most uh, one that's upcoming will be No Way Out 2003. So hopefully you will join us for that one. And then after that, there will be a big review of WrestleMania 19 as well, where we'll also try and get Tony involved because Tony, strangely enough, has never seen that show. Yeah, uh, we're thinking and we haven't decided yet that we may do a full-blown watch along of WrestleMania 19. And I would love to get Tony's reactions as the matches happen, as everything happens. I think especially... The McMahon-Hogan match. Yeah. Because uh, cards on the table, that's my favorite Vince McMahon match ever, and it's one of my favorite Hulk Hogan matches. That one is a trip. It, it is just an amazing spectacle. I can't say it's a great match. It's an amazing spectacle. Uh, but, yeah, we will look forward to that as well, so hopefully you'll join us on that side of things. Other, there are other ways you can obviously support us monetarily as well, outside of the Patreon, if you want to... Pick up some Smart Cam Moment merchandise. There are the Redbubble and T Public shops, so you can pick up a few bits and pieces there. Other ways you can support us, are, but uh, if you money's like a bit of an issue right now, obviously we know time to tie it. So other ways you can support us are just by sharing the articles on SmartCamMoment.com, leaving comments, leaving just just leaving just reading them in the first place, just clicking on the articles, just checking them out. It's obviously great. Following us on social media, Twitter and Facebook at Smart Count Moment. Joining the Mega Maniacs Facebook group, facebook.com slash, the, uh, slash group slash the Mega Maniacs. Uh, helping out Tony on the Fanboys Anonymous side of things. So Fanboys Anonymous is where you can check out all that you need for the geek culture side of things. Movies, television shows, comic books, video games, all right there at Fanboys Anonymous. We're also doing a, our own podcast series as well, me, Tony and Rob on the James Bond series, A Review to a Kill. And there's plenty of other stuff that's going on there as well. So check out the YouTube channel, check out the website, check out their Facebook, their Twitter, their Patreon, their Redbubble, their Tee Public, all of that great stuff surrounding Fanboys Anonymous. Rob. Yes. Tell us can, what you're doing. You can follow me on Twitter, at DudeFleece. That's first and foremost. I'm over at Fightful.com. Uh, a couple of days ago, we just had the Q4 2020 investor call. Maybe there was some big news. Maybe there wasn't. We're recording this prior to, so I guess we'll see there. But yes, you can find me every day of the week, practically on Fightful.com. You can also go over WrestleZone.com. You can continue checking Fanboys, because I've been doing a lot over there as well. Doing stuff with Tony. We did a watch-along of Mulan, the 99 one. We did a watch-along of Superman, Batman, public enemies in which i get mind fucked about the similarities between our former president and fictional president lex luther and yeah just keep clicking around and i appreciate all the support and i thank you for coming on this journey absolutely uh you can follow me on twitter at wigmeister 14 and yeah we'll see you again next week for the go home show for no way out but until then this has been another smile count moment and we are being counted out Bye.